welcome to Eruption, where we talk about music, music news, music stuff, and anything else that comes up. Oh, hey. Hey, how you doing, T? Good, good. good. It's been a while, hasn't it? <clears throat> it's been a hot minute. I had to almost die, but we're back at it. Man, the things you do for this podcast. I know. <laughs> you, you did almost. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, things I do because game. of this podcast? Can I blame the podcast for that? Nah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But yep, we're back. Yeah, all's well that ends well. Right, right, right. Back at it again. Back at it again. Here with some some serious business. Serious business. Yes. So it's it's been a few weeks. A lot of things have happened. Oh man, so much. So many things. Um, one thing that I'm super excited about: Prophets of Rage. Oh my god. Right. Dude, just. The caliber of talent there is insane. Ridiculous. If, if you're unfamiliar, you need to educate yourself. Get it. It's uh, Be Real from Cypress Hill, Chuck D from Public Enemy, backed by Rage Against the Machine. Boom. What? They've been playing shows in LA, and uh, it's like a combination of like Cypress Hill, Public Enemy, Rage songs, and then they've also been writing new material, because we're in a, uh, a pretty politically charged climate right now yeah election year election year so it's getting crazy like i i myself have never even been into really politics as much like of course you know obama 08 like that was right. that was kind of a big thing and then trying not to elect bush in the early 2000s <laughs> that was also a thing um but i've never been so involved in like the primary process and, right. and even you know having peers and people maybe even 10 years younger than us are like so into it and so um involved in the whole process usually you don't really even get into it until they announce you know until after right yeah until you hit the general election and exactly it's, yeah. and a lot of people don't really even care about anything other than the presidential election but that's it's for another conversation sorry I'm, my tits itch <laughs> <laughs> So I apologize for the swishing. Uh, I'm burnt to shit right now, and I'm super itchy. Sunburnt to shit. That's not how I almost Yeah, we, we will have a... Yeah. <laughs> both have quite the sunburn. But uh, I think that, um, like, with Prophets of Rage, especially, you know, one really cool thing that music can do is not only make people aware of political issues or educate them on political things, but also draw interest to a political subject. We've had a... As, a, as America. 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 We've had a solid history of both sides of things. Both, like, songs that are very, uh, for lack of a better term, patriotic or pro-war or pro-political process, but also songs that, and music, that have really sought to change things and um, kind of point out what's going wrong. Right. And I think it's important that music plays a key part in that because how do we learn about this stuff the media right news hearsay right and all of that is highly filtered right well yeah especially now with social media right but i mean now we have the ability too to see some of this and everyone has camera phones and you know we're able to upload content in seconds from things happening right but 20 even you know let, let's go back even further, like 60 years ago, that wasn't the case. Nah. You know, and, and so how do people find out about this stuff? They're definitely not going to put it on television. No. Right? They're not going to write about it in the newspapers. Nope. Uh, so it's it's up to, you know, the citizens or the people who um, are seeing these things happen. They want to bring that to the world. And how do they do that? 
and how how do they do it in a way that's going to interest them? Yeah, and, it's and not be, sound like some right, and it's got to be relatable, right? You know, that's where I think music has a real upper hand over spoken word or or written word, is that with the the actual music, the instrumental portion of it conveys an entire you know set of emotion you can have a a political statement that not necessarily by itself would be angry or charged or a call to action but when you put it with a background of certain styles of music or certain genres of music or whatever it changes that completely that's true and then you know of course these people most of them that have come out with this are either you know, have usually been around a little while, right? And they have right. a fan base of some sort. Um, or, you know, maybe they get that way by putting out this sort of controversial Yeah, it music. takes it takes balls to release <laughs> to release some, you know, protest music or some politically charged music. Right. And it's always been a risk. You know, even when we go back to, to Woody Guthrie, uh, you know, This Land is Your Land. It was originally recorded in the 40s. So it, if, if you don't know, This Land is Your Land, the song that you sang in elementary school. Yeah, that's why this one like blows me away. Because I didn't know until we started researching right. that this song had anything to do with other than like, this is such a great country, yay, yay. You know, like, yeah. we're singing this as children, like awesome, America is so fantastic. Right, so it was actually written as a response to God Bless America. As kind of, you know, does God bless America for everyone? God bless America for me. And Woody Guthrie is a communist. Right. So he very much believed, you know, what's mine is yours, what's yours is mine. And within, um, you know, when that was recorded in the 40s, they actually cut an entire verse from the recording and it, and it involved with, uh, it, oh, I'll just read it. Pretty sh- I'm pretty sure I can read it. Yeah. So the part that I remember is just this land is your land, this land is my land, and then they talk about yeah you from know, from New California York to California, to... blah blah blah. Right. So then we get down into the uh, the more controversial verses, and um, the one that was recorded but was cut is there was a big high wall there that tried to stop me. The sign was painted; it said private property, but on the backside it didn't say nothing. This land was made for you and me. So I did hear that version when we were searching for it. Yeah, it's a, but that you was find later it on that was cut, correct? Right. And the reason for that is that even though it was recorded in '44, mm-hmm. the song wasn't released until the '50s, which was mid McCarthyism and you know kind of witch hunt for communists. And Woody Guthrie gave no fucks. His family has consistently said that he really didn't care whether or not he went to jail for his beliefs or the things that he said about them. Nice. But the producers, the record engineers, the people distributing and selling these... Those that are putting money into his career, they cared. Right. Yeah. Um, Because they could have gone down too for, you know, disseminating what would be considered communist propaganda. Right. There was another verse that was found by Woody Guthrie's daughter that never even got recorded. You're kidding. Because it was deemed as being way too out there. What'd it say? One bright sunny morning in the shadow of the steeple, by the relief office I saw my people. As they stood hungry, I stood there wondering if God blessed America for me. Yeah, they definitely weren't gonna <laughs> Nah. Nah, they weren't gonna put that out. Nope. That's nuts. Yeah. 
I know one of the earliest, like, that's more like controversial, political, not, not even necessarily political, but protest sort of songs that came out was Strange Fruit by Billie Holiday. Yeah. And that came out in 1939. Yeah. And that was actually written by an, another gentleman that wrote a poem. And the poem was a response to a photo that he saw of two black men that were lynched in Indiana, actually in Marion, Indiana. Yeah. And that was a big ordeal. They thought the guys had robbed a place. Yep. They they put them in jail. Yeah. People of the town yeah, came I was and say, like didn't broke. They just pull them out of the jail. And yeah. Pull them? They like broke down the windows or walls or whatever of the jail and pulled them out and hung them. And like it just it just caught their attention so much. They're like, damn, we really need to let people know. Like, and at that time lynching had gone down, but they're right. like, wow, this is this is still happening. This is a thing. Like. We're in the, we're in the 30s here. Like we're in the 1900s. Like this shouldn't. I mean, it should have never been a thing. Right. But you feel like you know you get to a certain point and you feel like you've progressed, and this is still happening. I think that on the regular, like just mind blown. You know, right. there's so many things going on today that yeah, I just I just can't believe are going on. You know. Right. But she's you know it, it's funny because she would go on stage to perform this and it's not something that people would expect. They see her come out on this, you know, stage. Say she's playing in some like basement in New York, and she would pop out on the stage, and then just start. And, and, and everyone in the audience is like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" Once they figured out what she was saying, like, "Yeah, holy crap!" And then at the end, they're like, "Wait, do we applaud this? Right? Or or do we do we leave? Like, how do we? Yeah, how do we even react to this? Right? You know, especially because that was the first time that people were confronted with that." that type of art, that type of music in a public setting. Right. Usually it's sort of a hush hush. Like they know it's there. Right. Yeah. They weren't used to having that in their face, you know, right. or being confronted with something like that, especially through a medium like art. Right. And it wasn't until, you know, the sixties the when the Vietnam war was going on that we started seeing another revolution come out. Right. With and all that... these like political protests and songs. Yeah, and then, you know, when we talk about the really influential artists from that era as far as protest music goes, um, you know, with the exception of, like, the kind of psychedelia and, like, Jimi Hendrix doing the national anthem, uh, the majority of that were, you know, singer-songwriter folk artists who yes. were directly influenced by Woody Guthrie and what he had done previously. Mm-hmm. You know, Bob Dylan, Pete Seeger, stuff like that. The big difference with those artists and their activism, though is that Woody Guthrie, Billie Holiday, they were in the trenches. Like, right. they were legitimately living that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Whereas the majority of artists from the 60s and, and then later on as we've had different kind of swells of protest music come through were not necessarily the protesters. You know, they're more observers. Right, they see injustice and things happening and going on and they're like... That's not okay. Yeah. Like, we have to speak up, but we have to do this in, in large groups to get attention. We may not necessarily have gone through this, right? but yeah. we want to be like, responsible for speaking up. Yeah, and that's that's exactly what happened with, with Marvin Gaye. You know, he had gotten letters from his brother who was in Vietnam and was like, oh, fuck, like, I can't, I can't keep making just these love songs. I have a platform and a voice, and I need to use that for something greater than just this. The other thing with... With protest music and, you know, and the reason that we see these swells with it is that at the end of the day, the music business is a business. Right. 
and it's hard to make money or it's hard to put money into what would be viewed by the majority as like a crazy fringe ideal. You know, I think that's why from the 60s and 70s into, you know, the the early 90s, the majority of protest music was underground or even, you know, politically conscious music was incredibly underground. Right. There were a lot that were underground, but there are also a lot of of very popular artists that were doing songs that you may not even know necessarily were about a protest or about anything going on. Right? Right. Like I started listening to CCR when I was like 13. Right. And I thought they were fantastic and I still do. No idea Fortunate Son. Yeah. <laughs> right. It was about sort of the like injustice of senators not having to send their sons out to war right while they're you know just your average joe like anyone else is getting drafted yep. but there's like this protected class that didn't have to go to war you know and this war was such a big deal because nobody knew what in the world they were fighting for or against right exactly and when johnson ramped up the war in vietnam in the late 60s you know we saw that same that the response to that was uh, a rise in political activism and protests, but also a huge rise in politically charged protest music. For me, like kind of the quintessential protest song, even though it doesn't have a, a single word in it when it's, you know, in the, the performance of it, mm-hmm. is Jimi Hendrix doing the national anthem at Woodstock. That was awesome. He, he just took the song. I mean, first of all, like technologically at the time, it was amazing. No one was making guitars sound like that. No one was right. blowing out their amps and distorting them at that level. But um, he, you know, took this, uh, what was supposed to be this grandiose uh, patriotic march mm-hmm. and deconstructed it and turned it into this hellfire of dive bombs and, you know, these crazy pinched harmonics and things that you'd never heard before. And definitely not in the context of your national anthem. Right. It's usually so formatted and like... Right. And, and, and sacred. And, right. You know, like Like you that... didn't change it. Right. You know, there was no tweaking it or going, you know, sort of coloring outside the lines per se with right. that exact yeah, melody. Yeah. And doing that and, and protest music in general is just so fucking American. Right. Like it's, it, you know... I mean, you've got him doing that, and then Woodstock, you've got uh, Country Joe and the Fish. Yes. I love it. Doing his little, like, ragstock sort of, you know, uh, I feel like I'm fixing to die. Yep. Which had the whole place singing along, you know? Yeah. Basically, just an anthem about, you know, basically just an anthem about, uh, you know, we don't know what we're fighting for, we're all going to die. Right. And everyone was digging it. Yeah. (laughs) So then, you know, the uh, the 80s happened. Things, the 80s. Things got a little bit better. Um, a little bit. I mean, until you hit the end of um, to the end of the 80s, and you've got uh, you've got end of the 80s. You got NWA coming out. That's right. With fuck the police. Coming straight from the underground. Straight. I'm not gonna sing the rest of that no. one though. No. <laughs> but you know, I mean, they're they're talking about. Uh, you know, racism and police brutality. Yeah, racial yeah. profiling. Right, everything going on in L.A. Yep, and that's when... Um, a few you know, years later... Got Public Enemy. 
Yes. Public enemy. Who um, were fucking straight militant. Yeah, they didn't care. Nah. No. I mean, fight the power. Yep. They were just like, you know what? We did the march. Yep. <laughs> we were really cool about things. We had MLK. We tried to do it this way. Nah. F that. We're done. Right. And everything about public enemy surrounded activism like mm-hmm. from their their logo the the silhouette of a black man in the crosshairs of a gun mm-hmm. to i don't i i don't remember what they were called but their their security people the guys who stood on stage with guns and mm-hmm. the berets they're kind of like black panther-esque right crew mm-hmm. um to literally staging protests like, it, it was all politically motivated. Mm-hmm. Not too long after that was when we saw Rage Against the Machine come along. Oh my god, Rage. Yeah. And Rage, I think, holds, holds a special place in, yeah. in music history for being one of the first rap rock groups, one of the few to do it well. Very, very well, mm-hmm. yeah. I think it was cool, though, because, you know, if you're not, an, you know a black urban youth, you may not be able to relate to NWA and, and public enemy. Like they might catch your attention and you might like, this is really cool, but you know, and that's something awesome to fight for, but it might not necessarily catch your attention yeah, and, because you might not even be into rap, you know, right. like I don't think rap started getting into like white suburban youth until like mid nineties, right. really when it started to capture that audience and, and rage against the machine when they came out, like, I, I, they were sort of crossing genres and bringing them together, which was really cool. Like, let's get all these groups of people together. And I don't even necessarily know if, you know, that was intentional or not. Right. But it was, you know, crossing two genres and bringing them together. Like, I didn't even know when I first heard Killing in the Name, you know, that it's all about police brutality. Yeah. And racism and how these police officers are exploiting their their power. Right. And I mean, how long ago did that fucking song come out? And we're still having that same goddamn argument. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. And, you know, I listened to it again today and I'm like, this is just as relevant in the 90s, early 90s, as it is right now in 2016. Yeah. Like, wow. And, you know, I feel like it's just, it's just more in your face now because everything's on video and social media and everything like that. And I think that's great. Yeah. You know. And it brings a lot more attention to it. It because does. Because we didn't catch everything that happened before. Right. You know? We saw Rodney King because there was video somewhere. Exactly, yeah. Otherwise, it's just hearsay. Right. I would say they were the three the three biggest sort of activists in music in the 90s. Right. Yeah, no, and, and granted, throughout all these periods of time, there have been underground subgenres or movements that have been very politically motivated and very politically active punk and hardcore right um, a lot of you know conscious hip-hop but we're, we're really focusing on what had mainstream success exactly and in you know the mid to late 90s we were pretty prosperous we got pretty vapid with our our popular music right it kind of turned more towards boy bands and polished pop and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then and in, that does push the everyone else really more underground. Right. But then the 2000 election happened. Mm-hmm. If you want to call it an election. Yeah. Stolen election. Right. <laughs> and 
when something like that happens, it, you know, there was a lot of visibility to that. We all learned what a hanging Chad was and all that shit. Mm-hmm. It motivated a lot of people. You know, during that time, we kind of saw this resurgence of protest music. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had Green Day come out with American Idiot, which was just an entire album of just straight commentary on the State of the Union. Mm-hmm. Green Day, even though I think they would fall into the punk banner or pop punk banner, politics is not their thing. Right. You know, their songs are about sitting on the couch. Getting high. Getting high. Whatever. Being dumb. Yep. Yep. So that is kind of a shock. Right. And it came out on a major label with a huge promotional push. You know, that was when music videos were still a thing that were played on TV. (laughs) Right. And they had these huge high-budget videos that were incredibly well-produced. They were, you know, Wake Me Up When September Ends was a song that was played on... Every, every radio every station. radio station everywhere but yeah. you know if it was top 40 if it was rock if it was alternative that song was in yep. heavy rotation on it and then you know other artists like bright eyes you know you know mm-hmm. he loves me some yes, bright eyes you do bright is not so political really normally but dude wrote when the president talks to god went on leno and performed it just this straight call out of the hypocrisy of the bush administration and you know that kind of uh, hypocritical pseudo Christian pseudo fundamentalist stance that they took, and that stuff is ballsy. Like that's the same time where we had like the Move On tours with like mm-hmm. fucking REM and Bright Eyes and Bruce Springsteen. Like <laughs> it it blew up again, and it created a huge resurgence of activism in you know the general population. I don't think. I, I honestly don't think had we not had those artists stepping up and, and taking the risk to publicly say this is wrong. I mean, even the fucking Dixie Chicks. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Right. Uh, if we didn't have them standing up to say this is wrong, I don't think we would have seen any of the protests or activism or, or it, not anywhere near the level of protests and activism yeah. that we saw during that time when the, the war in Iraq was getting ramped, ramped up. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I, I wasn't around in, in the 40s and 60s and 70s, right. right? But I feel like, you know, we've had these pockets of activism and music throughout time. I feel like now they just keep getting closer and closer, like with everything that's going on, you know, like we've had some in, in, in the 40s. And, and, and I'm sure there was plenty, you know, before that and, and a little bit around you know, even in the fifties, but you know, you've got like the large majority of during the Vietnam war. And then you've got a lot of racism and police brutality in the, in the late eighties, early nineties, Yep. you know, the Bush administration, uh, the second reign in 2000 war in Iraq part two. Right. But now in the last couple years, it's been another huge resurgence in police brutality and racism. Yep. You know, and like when, the situation in um, St. Louis. Yeah, in Ferguson. Right. And we had J. Cole come out with music maybe just less than a week later. Yeah, and that's that's what's so cool about social media. I mean, when we talk about Woody Guthrie, dude recorded This Land is Your Land in 1944. It didn't yeah. get released until the 50s. Jeez. You know, we're talking five, six years later, and people were still afraid to release it. Yeah. Now that we have social media, we have things like streaming services, you can write a song 
and have it available for everyone to listen to that day. Yep. And immediately. Yeah. And just have, you know, initiate a response. Right. Like it's really cool just to, to be able to have that. So we, you know, we're still getting this from other, you know, people you talked about prophets of rage. Yep. Well, even run the jewels, like their second album. Yes. That came out. We've got killer Mike. We all know killer, killer Mike. Love this dude. LP. Um, yeah, but he uh, even had Zach from Rage. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, (laughs) you know, he brought him on. He's like, Come on, dude, let's do a track, let's get it right. Um, Kendrick Lamar, huge, and I'm really happy about that because there's not a lot of hip hop artists that I even like these, you know, right current ones that even have anything worthwhile, you know, anything good saying that's not like that you you can understand what they're saying. Money, (laughs) right? That's so true. That's pretty much it. <laughs> Not about a panda or a or yeah. you know a girl. Yeah. A car. Yeah. Atlanta. Whatever. He's right. Just... Right. But it's really cool, and you know, for him to the the videos that he makes and the message that he has and that and, Grammys performance. Yes, that's what I was getting to. The Grammys performance. I was just like in awe, like yeah. mouth open. Oh my god! And I was even just like, oh my god, they're letting him do this. Right. And I mean, even before that started, you know, there were these kind of pseudo-political empowerment songs. And and I have no problem making this argument that songs like Born This Way or even like Firework by Katy Perry mm-hmm. are gay and feminist protest songs. Totally. And it, my my hope, my hope beyond hopes is that as we get further into this political process, especially because Prophets of Rage is saying that they're going to show up somewhere in Cleveland during the, the GOP convention. Oh my god, please. Um, yeah, they won't say where because, you know, you don't announce that kind of stuff uh-uh. towards the media. But they, no. I mean, Rage Against the Machine was at the, the 2000 Republican convention. Wow. They're they, going to rickroll them? Oh god, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but my, you know, my hope beyond hope is that as, as this thing progresses and after this election cycle finishes... The people that, as as much as I hate him, Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders, these fringe candidates, have brought into the political process who are so uninterested before can be maintained by things like protest music. Right. Um, you know, and and activism and awareness in the art that they consume. It, it might be a little... might be a little over... Uh, utopic? Is that a word? Is it? I don't know. What are you trying to say? Like, that might be, you know, it's, it's an ideal world. Okay. You know? Okay. I don't expect, you know, One Direction to come out with an album of crazy fucking left-wing protest music. Right. But there there are those artists like One Direction or Taylor Swift or other people that, you know, I might listen to here and there, but I don't expect any deep content from them. I don't listen to them to like get some message that's gonna fulfill my life. But I mean, when <laughs> it, as as a huge Gaga fan, yeah. When Born This Way came out, I didn't expect that either. That's the true. the fame and the fame monster were literally just about owning things and going out and having fun and partying. Yeah. Well, her first song was yeah about partying. Yeah. And um, you know, so to see that change in in her, but I think. I don't know. She's extremely intelligent. She is. And I think she followed a, a cookie cutter beginning so that she could break out 
into the mainstream to get people's attention, to get some messages across. Like, I think yeah. she's she's really fucking intelligent. Right. Oh, she is. You know? And I feel like she has a lot to say, and she has an awesome message to bring across, but, you know, I don't think people will listen to you immediately if you come out, like, with these strong messages without sort of grabbing the attention and, and getting a fan base first. I guess, yeah, I can, I can see that. You know, especially with something like uh, an issue like gay rights or... or... You know, just the, is it nature or is it nurture argument? Fuck, it's so divisive. Right. There's, you know, I don't think that something like that can be rolled out slowly, though. You know? That's true. And I think that's why it worked so well when she did it, was that it was this just abrupt, in-your-face, we were born this way, fucking deal with it. Right. Well, I guess what I meant by that was more like she came out with this like cute little party song here and there and got everyone's attention. And then she, you know, was like meat dresses, crazy outfits, born this way, woo, you know, like have my following. Like, I think that was intentional. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. But with what's happened recently in Orlando, there have been a lot of artists who have now come out in support of the LGBTQ community awesome um you know even even kid cuddy tweeted a few days afterwards like basically there's too much homophobia in hip-hop this is an issue that we need to address Mm -hmm. if you disagree with me unfollow me yeah i don't want to be i don't want you to be my fan yeah you're not my fan it fucking breaks my heart that it takes something like this for people to realize or change their perspective or think like hey maybe i'm wrong yeah just like it breaks my heart that it took or that it takes situations like Mike Brown or like what happened in Baltimore for people to realize that a, a militant police force is a bad idea. Not the way to go. Or for them to realize that like, hey, I'm profiling. Right. You know, or that police do this. Yeah. And it's not okay. Yeah, well, and, and you know, hopefully, and and this is me getting on my soapbox a little bit, but fine. give no books. Um Hopefully, when it comes to to police brutality and and racial profiling and and things like that, people have seen the the recent Supreme Court decision that's come out that basically says that the Fourth Amendment doesn't fucking matter. Mm -hmm. And if uh, a cop decides that you look shady or you look like you're an immigrant Mm -hmm. or you look like you might be doing something, Mm -hmm. they can stop you, they can search you, anything they obtain, even though it was legally obtained with, illegally obtained within that search, can Mm -hmm. be used against you in court. Mm -hmm. And the cop might get a slap on the wrist. Right. They're protected. Yeah. Way too much. Way too much. But I do want to, I want to, I want to go out on a high note. And this is, this is actually something that we, we haven't talked about before the episode, because I wanted to you always roll do this, this to out me. to you. Yeah, you do. You're like, I need to elicit a response yeah. from her. And that is, now, you know who Andrew W.K. is. Mm-mm. When, when it's time to party, we will party hard. What? So Andrew W.K. is, um, he's a really good songwriter, an incredibly good musician. All of his songs are about partying. Huh. Titles like... Party, party, party. <laughs> party hard. You sound like you're at the, you know, yeah, trying to sell the CDs online. Yes. And you're like, titles like. <laughs> party, party, party. And then they just go through the list and read like every fifth song. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so Andrew WK has started the party party. What? 
That's right. Oh, oh, like a like a political party. It's a political party. Party. And it's it's simple in its mission to free the American people from dysfunction that is our two-party system. At best, partisan politics have created an insurmountable divide that has separated people into two categories of Democrat and Republican. The party party aims to provide an alternative to the divisive labeling of our current system. And basically, uh, they're like, yo, we all really want the same things. Right. Uh, we want access to education, healthcare, a sense of social equality, um, you know, a sense of security in our lives. Yeah. And that's the goal of the party party. I'm down. Yeah. I will party with that party. I will, I will party with the party party till I can't party anymore. Truth. And then I'm gonna party. Party auntie. All right, guys. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you want more... Who wouldn't? Right? Check us out on all of the social medias. That's right. You can find us on Twitter at Eruption, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Eruption, or on our homepage, eruptionmusic.com. 